If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I've been on more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? kind of part of our culture to eat glass. Hey, get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we talk to developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today we have Nick and Elias from Kronos, the recent winners of the Riptide Hackathon. Welcome guys, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, great to be here. So let's start with you, Nick. What's your history? How'd you get into this whole thing? My background is basically I worked on the payments team at Uber for about four years or so, helping build out the payroll system there. And so I was working on a lot of like international banking integrations and just became very aware how broken the current kind of legacy payment system is. You know, I can't really even tell you the number of times I got woken up at 4 a.m. because some system failed somewhere and I had to email a CSV file to some banker to push money through the system. <laughs> it's like, it happens all the time. And so I like heard about Solana and just became like, I had a light bulb moment really where I just like realized that this thing is cheaper, faster, and easier to use than any existing payment rails that I know about. And so, yeah, I got like quite excited about the potential for disruption there. And this was all like pre kind of Solana pay stuff. And, and so... Yeah, I mean, we dove in during like the Ignition Hackathon. Oh, you did? Cool. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. I was actually, when you were talking, I was thinking in my head, I was like, payments. I was like, wow, didn't even build anything on Solana Pay. So like you guys were already kind of rolling a little bit before that. So that's cool. Yeah, so Elias, how about you? I'm pretty fresh as far as experience in industry. I did have an internship in college as a data scientist in Argentina for a bit. I then transitioned into front-end development that following year and had been a front-end developer up until when I got into Solana development, but that's pretty much it. Cool. Yeah, so with all that said, like you guys' backgrounds, like how did you guys end up meeting each other? Like how, what's the story? Are you in the same place? You guys are in the same city? How did that work? We're both in Austin. Elias is like a few minutes north of Austin. I'm kind of like downtown. And we, yeah, we meet up down here a few days a week. We, we basically met on Twitter last summer. Yeah, I was at Samsung before I met Nick. I was basically a site reliability engineer for this semiconductor facility here in Austin. I didn't love it. I absolutely hated it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was creating toy projects on GitHub just for front-end development purposes, just to better my skills because I wasn't really progressing that well at Samsung. I was then tweeting about it and just you know, my philosophy was, well, what's the worst that could happen? Someone's going to see this and, and maybe look at my repo. Who knows? Yeah, randomly I get a DM from this guy named Nick. He was like, hey, I like what you're doing. I looked at your GitHub. Like, We're looking for front-end developers at this uh, product studio that we have in Austin. I would love to grab a beer. And that's really where it started. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Like, uh, I thought that stuff only happened in Web3, but I guess it's happening outside of that too. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find that tweet, Nick, Like, in the first place? <laughs> I, I don't remember, honestly. It's like scrolling the timeline, you know? It's like, don't you really remember what you saw 10 minutes ago? <laughs> but yeah, I think I saw Elias tweeting, maybe like a GitHub link or something. Saw he was a dev and yeah, I was just kind of looking through his projects on GitHub and I found his resume actually. And everything there was kind of focused around like Next.js and React, which we were 
doing a lot with at the time. And so, I mean, I figured sending a DM couldn't hurt and just kind of realized that he was based in Austin. I just moved here, I think like a week or so prior. And yes, we met up and grabbed a beer and just kind of like hit it off from there and have been working together since. Very cool. There's actually, uh, I think there's a couple other people in Austin, I believe Castle Finance is there. There's actually a pretty decent university, like Solana Builder presence at like University of Texas at Austin. So the Cheeto team is here as well. Oh, nice. I think Buffalo is also here. Buffalo, the famous Buffalo is in Austin. Are we doxing him over here? No, he, he's tweeted about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So that's that's pretty cool to hear this story about how you guys met. Now, like, let's kind of get dive into a little bit, go a little bit further. Where did this idea kind of get birthed or what were you building? And, and started Ignition and kind of lead up to like how the idea of Kronos came about. I mean, as we were kind of saying before, like we were looking at Solana initially from that perspective of like payments and coming from the payments industry. And so we started in the Ignition Hackathon building like an on-chain Venmo where users could send and receive invoices and pay those back on chain. And and then that kind of rolled into like a token streaming service. And was that called Kronos or was this like, did it have a name at the point in time? Yeah, it was called Factor at the time. It's the, our, what we were kind of specializing on was the use cases of like subscription payments and payroll. And specifically, we were trying to figure out how to schedule token transfers. Because it's kind of these like inefficiencies in the vesting contract model where like the sender has to lock up like future payments up front into a vesting contract. And then so there's kind of some inefficiency there. And the receiver has to go out of the way. It's like claim from the vesting contract. And yeah. So we thought if we could schedule token transfers, like maybe that would be a better user experience. And we were working on that for a few months, like got the, the whole system up and running. And then around like February 1st, 2022, when Mountaindale was kicking off, we realized that we could generalize that protocol from only supporting token transfers to being able to automate like any arbitrary instruction. And from there, it just kind of like took on a life of its own. So you guys were at Mountaindale? Yeah. I mean, I was at Mountaindale before it was Mountaindale. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a version of it in 2021 called Mountain Compound. It was way smaller, but it was 14 of us or so just kind of like locked down in a house trying to escape COVID in Salt Lake City. And that was where I first met Edgar and Barrett. And Barrett's at the time was already working on Solana. And Edgar and I were kind of working on separate startups. But I think we both kind of got the Solana pill during that time. Man, wasn't expecting that one. That's a really cool story, actually. Those guys are involved in red pilling a lot of people into Solana. So I'm, I'm, I'm always happy <laughs> yeah. to hear these stories. They just keep coming up randomly wherever I go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's awesome. So you, when you were building this payment stuff, you kind of the idea came around and like at Mountain Dow and like that was like or right at the beginning ish, I think, of Riptide. Like TJ was just on the show. That's when he started to talk about building out Mountain Pay. So you guys were like, okay, we were doing payments. We just came up with this thing. Like we think we have solved a really big problem, and we're gonna kind of build this out. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it started with just a proof of concept. So we just had this basic question of like, can you even schedule arbitrary instructions on chain? And like, how do you do that? So we started by yeah building just kind of a basic anchor program where users could create tasks and each task is a different account. And inside those accounts, we would store serialized instruction data with a schedule. We basically had set up a, a separate kind of off-chain bot process, also written in Rust, but using the RPC client which basically just like 
watched for task accounts and then would trigger transactions whenever the tasks came due. And we found that we could invoke those inner instructions as CPIs. And that kind of then unlocked this whole, like, okay, we can schedule any arbitrary instruction. Yeah, I remember whenever he called me on our sync, I think it was a Monday, because he built the proof of concept during the weekend. He told me, he was like, you know, we have factor and it's really cool, but imagine if we just generalized it to allow for any arbitrary instruction. And I was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. That's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was really stoked. I remember seeing it like the first time and I saw what it was and I was like, wow, people are really going to like this. By the way, you guys are both your technical founders. You both built out Kronos, correct? Yeah, correct. Mostly Nick. Let me just add. <laughs> Mostly Nick. Actually, this is probably a good point to talk about what Kronos actually is, like officially, like kind of like a TLDR for like everybody watching, like what you guys built and, and kind of how it actually works at a high level. The basic concept is it's just a keeper network for Solana. Every blockchain, at least that we're aware of right now, kind of has this fundamental limitation in that you can't schedule transactions with a validator network. And there's a few different like, reasons why that's the case, but it creates challenges for teams that have kind of like background jobs or tasks that they need to run just to make their programs work. And so, yeah, what Kronos is is a keeper network to be able to facilitate that and service that. But the main difference is that we're kind of ma- turning the Solana validators into the keepers for the system rather than kind of relying on some external off-chain opaque bot network. And so that's required a lot of like deep integration with the validator code base in order to enable that. But That is actually very, very cool. I wasn't officially like 100% certain how it worked. So you're using the validators as the keeper network to run these jobs on the network. Yeah, exactly. Our V1 kind of proof of concept version was not integrated into the validator network. That hadn't even had that idea at the time, really. I didn't even know we could do that. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that we can just build a plugin for a validator is pretty cool. Yeah. It was around the same time we were building that initial bot that we started seeing some tweets about like the accounts DB plugin framework. And that has since been renamed to like Geyser plugin framework. And we just realized that like there was all these kind of scaling problems when you rely on these off-chain bots and that they have to submit transactions through the RPC network. And that can like take up a whole bunch of bandwidth and you have to compete with other traffic to get those transactions through. And we realized there was this interface that Solana was providing in the Geyser plugin framework that we could actually spawn transactions from there. And it was much more efficient and made the system kind of a lot more reliable. And so we basically copy pasted our, our bot code into the Geyser plugin framework and it, it mostly just worked like out of the box. Oh, wow. That's quite unusual <laughs> for things that just work. Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys actually have to work with the validator community or like did you guys have ever set up or run a validator? Like what's your kind of like knowledge there? Yeah, we have a few notes that we got through the Solana server program, which that is a very useful program. If there's anyone that's looking to set up a node on Solana. And we have some servers running on DevNet and TestNet right now that we're using to kind of stress test the system. But yeah, we've been reaching out to all the node operators we can to kind of talk with them. And we're looking to yeah get this thing rolled out on DevNet and TestNet quite soon. And it, actually, by the time this is published, like it should be out on DevNet and TestNet. And we'll have quite a few like integrations going on those networks. Yeah, I was, I'm not going to lie. So like, just like leading in the sense, congratulations, you guys 
won the Riptide Hackathon. This was like super incredible. And like for me personally, I was so insanely excited to see some tooling win because, you know, like this is just developers need this tooling and to see that people like watching a hackathon and like a lot of these like other in the past, like DeFi protocols, which are amazing out there winning, but like to see developer tooling take the grand prize, like just kind of says a lot about what you guys had built and like what the judges thought of it. So like, that's quite amazing. So congratulations. But tell me like, what was that like? Were you guys have any idea, any expectations? Like what was your thoughts? Like going through all that man (laughs) (laughs) yeah there was a lot going on at the time even outside the riptide hackathon but yeah it was quite a journey i think to get here chronos was what we wish we had when we were building factor you know we kind of came upon the idea for chronos because we were trying to build factor this like scheduled token transfer service and we're like how do you schedule a timer on chain and, and we found out you couldn't schedule a timer on chain. There just like isn't a way. So we were talking with some other teams and I think it was, it goes by Dr. Blocks at Switchboard. He described for us what a crank function was and how they were running their automations. And from there, we just kind of like started pulling on that thread and realized that, yeah, there was all this kind of dev tooling that was missing that like we could build out and just started running with it. Were you expecting to win the grand prize of the hackathon? Like, were you like, like, how did you react whenever you actually found out that you guys had won that thing? Was there? Yeah, I didn't know we were going to win. We had been getting tips from a few people that like we were on these ever shorter short lists, <laughs> but we didn't know until like the moment of that the blog post went out. Someone sent it to me, and then a moment later, Twitter started blowing up, and from there it was just like a flood of inbound messages coming in from like all directions. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> last few weeks have been like a lot of dealing with that. Yeah, a lot of dealing of about knowing what is spam and what isn't from people. It's pretty difficult to do. So did you guys celebrate? Did you guys go out for beers like you did the first time you met? Did you do anything? Sure did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like it's like I said, it's really great to like see some developer tooling win and like that value in that. Whenever I started at Solana Labs like a year ago, there was no developer tooling out there. This was like then comes Armani and then here's Anchor and then like now we have all these like indexers and then now we have Kronos and they just keep piling on and like eventually we're going to reach a place where like every little kind of narrow gap is covered and developers are going to be able to just jump in and like do all the things that they could do in Web 2 on in Web 3 and it's going to be a huge game changer for everybody. Not quite there or we're not like we're pretty far off from there I would say. Every tool like this like really really matters. Yeah, to piggyback off that, the most exciting part about this job is not only building it and dealing with really interesting engineering problems, but knowing the impact that it will have to developers and how empowering it is to allow them to automate things on chain. That's a pretty wild idea. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah, and I think that's why like a lot of engineers get into building out developer tooling instead of products because they're engineers themselves and they're like, man, like if I was like on the other end of this and somebody built this tool, I'd be so stoked. And like how many people that outwardly impacts is probably like just a really incredible feeling. And it's just really awesome. So sorry, Factor, but I'm glad that Kronos <laughs> ended up winning. By the way, like was is Factor is just kind of sitting on a shelf somewhere right now, just like never to be reopened again. Yeah, we, we kind of just rolled Factor into Kronos. 
Actually, the Twitter account is the same Twitter. We just changed the name. And <laughs> nice. Okay, so it's dead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dead, That's but actually, very much alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would have been, like, if Kronos would have never came alive, you would have been sitting at the Mountain Dow with TJ directly competing against each other. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. awesome. Like, So basically two of these projects were kind of like the winning of the payments track and then the grand champion of Riptide. They both came out of Mountain Dow. Every, every time I hear about Mountain Dow and we talk about this, it's like one more reason why I like understanding how incredible it was out there and how many builders were out there building really cool stuff. Yeah, the community in Salt Lake was amazing. Just knowing that you were in the same boat with all these developers, either just getting into Solana or being in it just recently, learning Rust and learning the runtime environment and what is possible on Solana is really crazy. And everyone was trying to help each other and answered questions. And if you didn't know the answer, they would direct you to somebody else. Or And everyone's just like, yeah, let me let me help you with this, which is my favorite part about that. And yeah, it's been really cool to see like communities pop up. Also happening right now is like Athens DAO in Greece. And you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to make it there. But I think we'll see like over the coming months, a few more of these communities like start to pop up that are a bit more like longer running than just the kind of week long hacker house format. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the community run hacker houses and like all these sorts of things like Mountain Dow, just because like whenever it's built out of the community like that, it kind of just forms this other type of bond with everybody. And like, it's just really exciting to see all that happen. This is the kind of point in the show where we kind of shift gears a little bit. We talked about that excitement, how how Kronos came alive, like you guys went in Riptide. Um, and, and now I want to talk about what that experience was like for you guys, because this is the very important part of the show where we talk about what kind of like sucked and like what was good and like and what could be better sort of thing. So I want to start with Elias this time. Like you came from a front end engineering background. Like what's actually the languages that you had touched before you kind of came to start building on Solana? Yeah. So even before I was a front end developer, I was uh, dabbling in data science for a bit. It was a lot of fun, but a bit too meticulous for my taste. So I was dealing with a lot of Python. Fast forward to when I graduate, I was really interested in front end development. Got pretty good at helping with some friends and building like a toy applications and TypeScript, React, some toy web apps with Next.js. And then that's whenever, you know, like I said, met Nick, joined the team. And yeah, I was building, you know, front end applications for, for a while, like six months. <laughs> and then I found like a lot of people who started their Web3 journey, uh, Nader Dabit's Ethereum article on how to, you know, it was like a super simple, I forget the, exactly the context of what the project was, but it was on Dev.2 and read through it and try to understand like what is this environment like what is this dev environment what's going on <laughs> not, not not too long after i found solana and nick also brought it up was like hey we should maybe look into this and then did you do dabas tutorial on solana too i did yeah i did yeah yeah it was a lot simpler i don't know <laughs> but also more difficult in some ways <laughs> when we were working on factor you know nick nick gave me the talk like hey we may not need front end developers so there's a chance that like i need you to flex over to becoming a Rust engineer, which is, you know. So he didn't fire you. No, no, he did not. <laughs> Luckily, uh, yeah. So fast forward to like Mountain Dow when we you know, finally realized like Kronos is, has a lot of potential. I buy the book that a lot of people seem to have and I have it on my desk right here, the Programming Rust book. And it's been my North Star, I would say, as far as growing my skills as a Rust engineer, as well as living in the Solana repo and Inker repos. 
So you are you guys are building this in straight Rust? Are you guys also using Anchor? Yeah. So in the core, you know, of Kronos, it's a lot of Anchor. A lot of what I deal with, I'm building and optimizing the Geyser plugin that we have to listen to Kronos accounts and execute tasks when needed. That's just built in Rust and you know other like asynchronous libraries and things like that, but not Anchor specifically. So how how hard like so this is the this is the part like the glass chewing like what. What was your learning curve like during that process of like learning Rust coming from front end? Like, was it as painful as everybody said? Everybody's different on this front. So like, what was that like to learn Rust? Yeah, a big mistake that I would advise people attempting to get into the space would be, first of all, just learn Rust by itself first. At least start there and understand that it is different from Anchor. And it's just a framework that lives with Rust and then try to understand the Solana runtime just a little bit. And those are three separate entities, but they all coexist. And you need the three in order to, you know, make a simple to-do app and rest on chain. So differentiating between those three different entities is really important. And if you just jump straight into a Solana anchor project, not knowing Rust, you're going to get really confused and pretty frustrated. So like for you, was it hard or was it just kind of time consuming? You kind of just had to grind it out and just like you learned along the way? Yeah, yeah. It's, It's one of those things that you just have to do every day. You have to, you know, for me, Every morning before we would go to the Mountain Dow. Glass for breakfast. Yeah, I would literally just <laughs> sit on the couch and wait for Nick to finish showering before we drove to the office. And I would just read a chapter of the programming rush book. And it would just go over like super simple things like structs and basic functions. And, you know, and if you're a software engineer, it's not too difficult to transition into Rust. It's just another programming language just in a different context. And it looks a little weird with like two semicolons next to each other or whatever. Yeah. Syntax. But... <laughs> It's not too bad. You just, one of those things you just got to do every day. And then before you know it, you'll just hit the road running. It's pretty nice. I think a lot of people talk about like chewing glass. Like it's actually Solana. That's the real glass chewing about learning like the native concepts, like using PDAs and these things. And there are people out there who just don't ever end up learning Rust. And like, they never actually tried it. They never kind of just like sat down and did it. You know, you could get a little bit resistant to it just because it looks so foreign. And then the other part is I've had, I've done a couple of Twitter spaces around this exact same thing about you saying, start with Rust. That's my recommendation. Always start with the base layer before you're like using any sort of framework or anything that's like intertwined in it. But there are people out there on the other side of the camp that say just start with Anchor. I obviously disagree because I think like learning that first base language is always going to be the best and it's going to save you down the road when you're running into issues kind of thing. I'm going to go ahead and ask you, Nick, kind of the same question, like what your experience was like. Like, what did you do to learn it? Was it similar to Elias? Was it hard? Was it easy? Was it kind of just time consuming? Like, what would that look like? I had some background working in like backend systems, yeah, from my time kind of out in California. I had worked mostly with Go prior and actually first tried picking up Rust in like 2020 because I had seen it was the most popular language on GitHub and it was just like, what is this? And I actually hated it the first time (laughs) I looked at it because I was coming from that Go world and like Go is designed to be like super ergonomic and like easy to read and and talk about and communicate. And Rust is more like optimized for performance. Performance and pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I like hated Rust when I first looked at it and I pushed it off to the side and didn't actually look at it again until we dove into Solana. I've since come to love it. It is a little bit steeper of a learning curve, and there are some extra like pieces to the mental model that you need, like in terms of understanding memory and 
ownership of variables and like how all that stuff works, lifetimes, for example, that other languages don't have. So that makes it a little more complicated or harder to learn, but it's not anything that can't be overcome, I think. It's just another programming language. But yeah, definitely breaking apart, as Elias said, the difference between like Rust problems, Anchor problems, and, and Solana problems, and understanding that these are all like three different systems. Yeah, it's like probably the hardest thing when you're first diving into Solana because it all looks the same and all the error messages are cryptic and it's hard to really, if you don't have a whole lot of debugging experience, it can be hard to like pull that thread because all this stuff is quite new and a lot of devs I think have the, the pattern of like, you get an error message you don't understand, copy it into Google and see what Stack Overflow results come up. There's just like a not a lot of, usually we're running into problems that no other devs have run into yet. And it's just like it's actually pretty cool though, like to, yeah. to like be one of the first like group of people on, on the planet. Like you guys are going to be the ones who answer these Stack Overflow questions in the future because that always starts somewhere. The first guy had to just figure it out. It's cool, but you're like, I don't know what to do now. Like, there's no. <laughs> I guess we're just going to have to figure it out. So that's where like I would just go to the Solana code base, and Nick has recommended multiple times. Just like go live in there. You'll understand the runtime environment better. Your errors will be easier to debug. It's a lot. The Solana code base is a lot, but there are parts of it that really help you understand what is going on underneath. A lot of people come from a web too. And again, I'm one of those people. Like we're used to having our hands held. We're used to being able to find the answers we want. We're used to like all these pretty, like amazing tutorials and all these different things. And when that's not the case, it makes it a lot harder. Like not everybody, like sadly enough, not everybody's just like this reverse engineering sort of code diver that's going to go do that sort of thing. And like it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, and like sometimes, at the end of the day, there might not like kind of be considered like the greatest payoff for all that work. But the true engineers, the ones who just like to figure shit out, like are going to go do that. And then they're going to figure it out and then they're going to build Kronos. So it's awesome. It's definitely how you know you're on like the bleeding edge is when Google doesn't come up with any results for your error message. <laughs> Zero uh, results. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the beautiful no search results for that, you know, Google search. And you're like, well, okay, cool. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say to any devs kind of like that find themselves in this situation, the Anchor Discord in particular has been like, is my new Google for like trying to find solutions to these problems. And usually like 70% of the time, like someone is kind of asked about some of the error problems like we're running into in the Anchor Discord somewhere. And there's been like someone that is able to chime in and help. And Armani and the team that's there is like extremely helpful in terms of answering questions, generous with their time. Yeah, it's and Alan and everybody that's out there and Jacob, who's on our DevRel team and Donnie. There's so many people and like these are kind of guys that are actually working on like Serum and Anchor and Solana Labs and all that stuff. But outside of that, the community of people just helping each other solve these problems is pretty like it's amazing to watch it happen in real life. We've been going on for a while now, and I want both of you, if you can, to tell me like what is missing from Solana right now, like in tooling. Like you guys just created one that was missing. Like we're, we're seeing a lot of tooling come out. Okay, all right, we'll start with you, Elias. Like, what are we missing right now? Uh, I'm probably stealing this from Matt because he's probably thinking about it. But one one thing we ran into recently is DevOps pipelining. It's pretty difficult to handle versioning from so many different projects. <laughs> and when we're developing, we're having to stay ahead of like mainnet and work on testnet. And it's it's a very complicated and different projects do it differently. But right now on our repo, we have a forked version of Anchor. 
just so that we have like up-to-date versions of Anchor, but using some different... The latest Solana dependency versions. Yeah. Yeah. So that right now is something that we have to build. But if there is a way to do that at scale for a lot of other teams, that'd be great. Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that one, but that's a good one. I don't think actually most like I hear it just because I'm like always paying attention to like a lot of different places. But I don't know if everybody except the ones who are coming into this problem actually know that like this is something that's kind of necessary. It's not one of the ones that people are most vocal about. It's usually like error codes and indexers and all these things. So Nick, did, did Elias steal yours or do you got something else for us? Uh, no, I mean, I think that's a, a great one. There's at least for like what we're doing where we have both like on-chain programs and a plugin that we're, we're trying to ship like DevOps challenges around like keeping just like the versions in sync between those two pieces is can be challenging. And then, yeah, I guess something that's kind of been on my mind a little bit is like how... There was a, a dgit project in the Riptide Hackathon, like decentralized Git, which I think stuff in that space, like decentralized DevOps processes, and like how does a decentralized global team of engineers contribute to a protocol? And well, how do you kind of keep that system open, the community open, but also secure? It's like, I think an unsolved problem at this point. Well, I look forward to the Kronos team actually building out this suite of tools, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) A few pieces, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, So I usually wrap these shows up just kind of like asking, like, like what advice would you give to somebody who's like thinking like on the other side being like, hmm, maybe I'm about to jump into Solana. I'm not sure like if I want to like put in the effort to to build something. Just just like what what general advice would you give somebody who was gonna build or is building on Solana right now? If you're frustrated with learning Rust, but you're really wanting to just build on Solana, then you're doing it right. You're not doing it right if you're not frustrated. That's the chewing glass part. Yeah. Just keep going. Cause at some point you'll be able to look at, you know, other projects and their smart contracts and go, oh, I see what they're doing. Like right now I'm looking at the Holoplex that's called RabbitMQ plugin or Geyser plugin. Shout out to the Holoplex team and trying to understand why they made certain engineering designs with like their plugin and, and see what we can take from. And that's just the beauty of open source, of course. But yeah, if I wasn't chewing glass consistently and I wasn't looking at code and other repos, then I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. And like it is, I wish everybody would start open sourcing their code out there, but we'll get there eventually. How about you, Nick? Like what kind of advice do you have? And if again, like if we've kind of talked about a few good ideas for the community. So what do you think? Yeah, I think probably two things. Like as Elias mentioned, like spending time in the Solana repo has helped a lot. There's a lot of patterns in there that, you know, if you're trying to get familiar with Rust, it's like a great resource to learn from. And the second thing is to actually like read the the error messages that you get back. Because when you actually pull in that thread, they are very cryptic error messages a lot of times, but like they do have information that leads you to the bug and the problem or like points you in the right direction maybe is like the best way to put it. I find that skill, like that debugging skill is kind of like a muscle that needs to be trained and learned and like doesn't always come like supernaturally because it's just hard. But yeah, like reading error messages and, and, and trying to decipher like what they're telling you is uh, kind of like a fundamental exercise to dealing with like large complex systems. Yeah, and it's also just like a really cool skill set to have to be able to kind of just like do these sort of manual debugging stuff. And yeah, like you said, it's, it becomes like a natural kind of mental muscle like that all of a sudden now it just happens quite naturally once you get to a certain point. 
Yeah, one thing for those interested in just in general, like distributed systems, trying to understand Solana a little bit better from like a higher level. There's a great YouTube course from MIT. If you just search distributed systems MIT, it's an open courseware, like 12 lecture series just to understand like RPCs, multi-threading, concurrency, consensus, and things like that. It's really beneficial to understanding like distributed systems, blockchains, uh, well, not necessarily blockchains, but at least for Solana uh, distributed systems. Awesome. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that come into into blockchain and like they don't even really know what a distributed system is. And like a lot of the times it's like, hey, go go actually read about like what this thing is before sort of diving into this. All right, guys. Well, uh, really, really thanks for coming on the show. I'm glad that we got to catch up. Congratulations winning Whiptide. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, we'll see you in Austin. Sounds good. Yeah, see you in Austin. All right. Cheers. Thank you.